Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is filmmaker Eliza Kubarska. Today we will discuss her documentary, Walking Underwater. Elisa is a Polish alpinist and traveler who specializes in adventure filmmaking and extreme location work. In 2007, she set up her own film company, Vertical Vision Film Studio, where she produced her first multi-awarded feature documentary called What Happened on Pam Island, and also known under the title of Mountain Love Story. In 2014, Walking Underwater, her next documentary, was awarded Hot Docs Jury Prize and John Schlesinger Award at the Palm Springs Film Festival. In her newest film, K2, Touching the Sky, Lisa, together with an international group of grown-up children of acclaimed mountain climbers, sets out on an expedition to reach the K2 base camp, the burial place for those who lost their lives on K2 in the summer of 1986. Eliza, welcome. Welcome, everyone. Hello, Elena. Let's start with something really simple. When we say that you're an alpinist, are we saying that you climb mountains? Uh, yes. When you say that I'm an alpinist, it means that mm, almost everything in my life is connecting to, to the mountains. And it's not only like a um, sport for me, it's something more. It's not like a travel. It's more, it's, it's my life. Uh, my life is to be in the mountains and climb the mountains. What is that like? For most of us who have never done that, never gone beyond probably a high altitude, even of a very high city would probably not be very high for someone who climbs mountains. Help us understand what it means to be a mountain climber. As I said, this is a lifestyle. So when you when you find out that this is the way for you to live your life, you just uh, try to make it possible. And of course, like in every other dreams in our life, to do it we need uh, a time and we need money. And uh, I started from rock climbing, then I went to highest mountain. I was traveling, and because in the same time I was finishing the Academy of Fine Arts, and I was looking for a, for an idea how to connect my uh, my passions and making a documentary uh, connected, which are connected with the adventure, with the travel, was the was the best solution for me. Why do you climb mountains? Why do I climb mountains is the question. It's a very It must be difficult. It must be expensive. So there has to be a reason that drives you to do this difficult and expensive and time-consuming activity. Why? I love to be in the nature, and I love to explore the places which are remote. I really love to spend the time with the people who live uh, in very far remote areas. Uh, there is always something very special in this kind of, of places. And I also, 
I think there are still there are less and less of this uh, of this kind of places, and I think climbing uh, gives me gives me possibility to go somewhere where not everyone can go and see something what is uh, difficult uh, difficult to see. So I think it's complicated <laughs> to find a one sentence answer why do I climb? I do it for more than 20 years now, and I just cannot imagine my life without it. But all of this is connected. This Climbing, adventure, traveling, nature, uh, native people, this is everything I, I love uh, exploring the world. Is it as cold as it sounds? Yes. <laughs> can, you, can you be more precise? Is mountain climbing as cold as it sounds? Because ah. you're very high up, the temperatures are very cold. Yeah, okay. It depends. Well, where do you go to climb? Of course, if you go to climb Himalayas, uh, it's very cold. But there are also many other mountains in the world. Uh, even in, uh, like, Yosemite in, uh, in in United States, and there is not so cold. It's quite nice and warm. Uh, so climbing the mountains not always are connected with the cold. But, uh, but it's true. Uh, sometimes it's very, very cold, and you try to be prepared for it. And today it's uh, much easier than it was 20 years ago. You can, you can have very good down jackets or other stuff, and this cause it's not so disturbing like it was before. You can be prepared. Do you have to be in excellent physical shape? Do you have to be an athlete to be an, a climber, a mountain climber? Yes, to be to be uh, able to go for um, for the highest mountain, especially you have to be fit. You have to be um, in very good shape, and this is something what's uh, become more complicated for me, especially when I started make make films, because making films. Uh, means that you have to spend a lot of time uh, working on these films, and then you have much less time for your training. So being honest, I have to say I um, now I spend much less time um, training than I used to do it uh, before I was a filmmaker. <laughs> what percentage of your time would you say that you spend on the mountains? <laughs> In the past, I think like um, 15, 10, maybe even five years ago, I used to spend uh, at least uh, half of the year uh, traveling or climbing, being somewhere in the mountains. Uh, it's not easy for me because I live in a city in Poland where it's completely flat. So if I want to if I want to go to the mountains, I just have to go somewhere uh, far. Now, as I said before, uh, when I started working on the films, I, I have less time for for being in the mountains. So now I think this this uh, uh, percentage changed. I also used to spend uh, time in different places, not only mountains, like, for example, in the sea around Borneo, and there are no mountains at all, and I used to stay there for a long time because of, of the film. Let's talk about that other aspect of your life then, filmmaking. What drove you to be an indie filmmaker or to be a filmmaker in general? 
I, want, I always wanted to travel. I was born in the um, late 70s in Poland, and that time uh, the, the Poland was a communist country, and the borders were closed. So for my parents, going abroad was very, very difficult and complicated. And I think that's why I really had this dream that I don't want to be closed in some place. I really want to go uh, very far to see very far lands, to visit some exotic place, to see um, the people from the other part of the world who look totally different, they speak different language, they have totally different culture. I was really very, very curious. And um, then I started rock climbing, which I said already, and it was also connected with this love for travel. I was looking for a way how to start traveling. It was hard that time. Most of the people in Poland, uh, there was no money. We just were not able to go abroad. It was just impossible. And I got the idea that maybe this rock climbing can, can help me. And I was, I was right. And then, in the same time, I was always uh, interested uh, interesting with art. I finished uh, Academy of Fine Arts, and uh, I was working with camera, with, with, uh, I was making pictures. And somehow, in one moment, it was obvious for me that filmmaking is the only way for me to connect all my dreams and all my passions to travel, my love to mountains, my love to visiting old places, and my love to, to photography, to beautiful picture, and to possibility to share this with other people. And everything is from these elements are in adventure, in documentary filmmaking. There is a big divide, there's a big distance between climbing mountains and diving. They're <laughs> sort of an opposite ends of the spectrum. One is going very high on land and the other one is going underwater. How did you end up in that project with your film Walking Underwater that is so very different from one of the activities that you are so fond of? Maybe it's not so far, because when you climb high mountains, uh, I think you, you have this thing, well, maybe I should also go deeper underground or deeper underwater. Maybe just natural, you know, that you want to discover more and see more. I went to Borneo Island uh, quite accidentally, I have to say. It was in the year 2010, and... I was looking for uh, rock climbing in Borneo, being honest, but also I was looking for a new topic uh, for a new documentary because it was exactly the time when I finished my my first film, What Happened on Palm Island, uh, which was set in Greenland. And I went to Borneo, and suddenly I I found myself in the middle of the sea, and I met uh, a couple a couple of the of the people on the sea. There was a very small boat, and on the small boat, at the very beginning, there was only one person. There was a small boy, alone, in the middle of the sea. And I was very surprised, what this boy is doing here, alone? And then I discovered that deep underwater was his father, who was a compressor diver. 
It was something I never seen before. I put my head under water and I just couldn't believe my eyes. I seen the guy who was diving deep with no proper equipment. He was breathing through the pipe and he spent underwater about two hours. I was waiting for him two hours up to the moment when he went up to the boat. And then we started to talk. I got with me a translator, of course. I wasn't able to speak uh, Bajau language because this is the name of the nation of the people. We call them Bajau. And he told me what he was doing. And I was really impressed uh, with his underwater skills. And that time, I wasn't a diver. I never died that time. And I thought, oh my God, if I want to see what this guy is doing underwater, I just have to become a diver. And then was the thought, of course, and uh, I'd never seen it before, and I really would love to show it to other people. So I have to film it underwater. So I have to be a diver, and I have to film it underwater to show to other people. And this is how the first uh, thing about making documentary, walking underwater, started. Tell us about the documentary. How long is it? The film is 72 minutes. Uh, and what, what should I say more? Where did <laughs> you film? Because the, if, if I recall or if I understood correctly, the Badjao people don't have a nation to call their own. They're nomads, right? Exactly. So this film uh, is uh, 72 minutes, and it was filmed on the sea uh, close to Borneo. Uh, the the sea is called Sulu and Celebes. There are two seas, in fact, Sulu and Celebes seas. And we stay with the sea nomads for a long time uh, to learn about their life and uh, to show them, to make a film. You were there in 2010, and while you were there, you met this man and his son, and you spoke with him uh, and, and then decided that you wanted to become a diver because you wanted to do a documentary about their diving ability, correct? Exactly. It was, it was the very beginning. So I came back in 2011 uh, because I got the feeling that uh, this is just the beginning of this story. We have the people which uh, who have amazing underwater skills, something which is really unique. But what I found later, what was, was prob probably more important, that these people are, um, are, are uh, they will disappear very soon because of the civilization which is trying to push them away from, from this place. And when I when I found this story, I was sure that I just have to make a film about this, about all the situation of the Bajau tribe. Learning to dive and getting the proper equipment to do underwater photography, that must have taken you some time in terms of learning the diving and learning to work with underwater equipment and to work with these people. What was that process like? Well, um, I think uh, sometimes I work uh, in crazy way because uh, I was looking for someone who will 
teach me very fast how to dive and that I will be able to film underwater. When I think about it now, I think it was really crazy idea, but because I have no money at all, I knew that to make a first uh, video to, to, to prepare trailer, to show, uh, to producer, to show to other broadcaster what I want to do, I just have to do it by myself. Uh, and I also asked my husband for help, who is a photographer. He also that time wasn't a diver. So together we did this diving course, which takes us like, I don't know, five days maybe. And we found a very nice um, diving instructor who watched us. Uh, he was the only one person who didn't refuse because all other diving instructors, they told us, first, it is impossible that you will be able to film just after five days of diving when you just started. And the second, they were not uh, sure if it's... Um if it's good for them to present uh, the life of the Bajau, because Bajau break all the rules which you have in diving. So to explain it, when you are a diver, you have to follow some, follow, following some rules if you want to be safe. It's obvious. And these Bajau people, they, they don't do it. And uh, honestly, I don't know how is it possible that they are still alive. Because what they do underwater, it's against all the rules we know about diving. What you can do and you cannot. And sometimes they do the things which you cannot. And they are still okay when they go up, uh, when they go from the water. And I don't know how is it possible. So <clears throat> when we find a guy, uh, a diving instructor, uh, who said, okay, you, are, you two are too crazy, but you are crazy enough to do it, I will teach you how to dive, and then I will go with you and we try to film uh, these Bajau people uh, while diving. And we did it, and from this I edited a short uh, video trailer, and this is how I started uh, looking for uh, other, par other partners to my project. Was it easy to find partners, people who would invest in your documentary project, who would fund it? Of course, it's never easy <laughs> in documentary world. Uh, first of all, I found a very good producer, and um, Monica Braid uh, is the producer, and from that time, uh, we worked together. We also did together my next film, K2 Touching the Sky, and we are... I think we are a very good team, and uh, we also work now on another project. So this is how we started. I, I met her. Uh, she's also Polish, but uh, she lives in London. I went to London just to talk about uh, my Cinomats project, and uh, she was in immediately. But we still had no money, so we started, uh, two of us, we started to traveling uh, from one pitching forum to another, talking with other uh, producers, uh, distributors, and it took us uh, many years, I have to say. Uh, in fact, we found uh, money to, to finish the whole production uh, three years later when the film was almost ready. How many hours of underwater filmography were required for the final 72 minutes that you described? Mm, my first idea was that uh, more than half of the film will be underwater, but then I found out it would be 
First, very difficult to tell a story in this way, and the second, uh, because of financial uh, issue, it was impossible. We had just money that we were we were able to uh, hire a professional underwater filmmaker, Lisa Strohmeyer, for uh, four days, and we did all the pictures I need for these four days. And it was very intense, and you have to remember that with diving, it's not like you can dive from 8 a.m. 8 8 till 8 p.m. with no stop, uh, non-stop. Of course, you can uh, do it maximum three times per day and not longer than one hour each diving. So it means that we really had uh, limited uh, hours uh, of this underwater work. But because Lisa was great uh, underwater uh, cinematographer, and because of my protagonist, Alexan, uh, was really great uh, diver, and because I really know what I wanted to tell about in the story, uh, somehow we did it. And in the end, I was quite, um, I was okay. I was, I was glad what we had. Tell us about the story. What is the story that you portray in Walking Underwater? Because most of it is, or all of it, right, is silent? Yes. um, There are not so much dialogue, not so many dialogues in the film, but uh, it was my idea from the very beginning. The place is uh, magical. Uh, and also the people, the Bajau people, uh, they are unique. And they also have uh, very strong beliefs about uh, the nature. Uh, they believe the gods live underwater, the gods live in the trees. So they are kind of enemies. And uh, they have their own rules which they follow. Before Alex and my main protagonist uh, will dive, he always pray. He's talking to the sea, asking underwater spirits for the permission to dive. Uh, he also do the same when he go to the island. First he he stops the boat on the beach and then he go to the tree and ask the tree for the permission. Uh, to enter the island. And this is uh, what we can uh, see in the film. But in fact, the story, if you want me to tell what is the film about, the story is about uh, um, one of the last compressor uh, compressor diver from island of Mabul, Alexan, and his uh, 10 years old uh, nephew, Sari, who wants to become a compressor diver. And uh, the older one, the Alexan, is teaching Sari how to become a compressor diver, but also he's teaching him how to talk with underwater spirits, how to ask them about the permission. So he's he's giving, uh, he's showing him the tradition of the, the he's telling him how to live uh, in their in their in their life of the in their world of the Bajau uh, between they they believe the beliefs they have, but also is the story about the world which is disappearing. Uh, 
Unfortunately, I'm sure that it may be in 10 or 20 years, uh, in many islands I visited, there will be no more Bajau. And I already met some families of Bajau who had to leave, who had to move from the sea to the city, to the town. And I tell you that today, the kids doesn't know how to swim. And it's very, very sad. What was the reaction of the Badal to your request when you said that you wanted to film them diving and show their way of life? Because there's a little bit of controversy in terms of the fact that they're nomads and they don't really have a country or a passport, right? How did they react? With these people, you just cannot talk in this way that you go to them and say, you know, guy, I think I would like to make a film about you because I think Alexander didn't know exactly what film means. I'm sure he never seen camera before and probably he never seen any film before in his life. So the situation was very, very different. First of all, I was traveling uh, to Borneo for two years like uh, I used to spend at least two months uh, on the islands every year. It was the time when I was looking for money. It was from 2010 till 2012. Uh, I was traveling, visiting them, spending just time with them, making relationship, like friends relationship uh, with them. And then... In the meantime, I was looking for a man for the shooting. And when we, uh, in one moment, we find our first broadcaster, it was uh, Arte ZDF TV, French-German, very good TV. They supported us uh, with some, not big, but it was good for the beginning amount of money. Uh, we went, uh, we decided to start filming. But it was already after, uh, after two years when I was visiting them. And these people were simply, they were, they were my friends already. We were, they trust me. Uh, So, you know, it was, it was kind of cooperation. And because Alexan didn't know exactly what camera is, uh, we were able to make some pictures, which normally was, would be impossible with me or with you. Because if someone keep camera close to your face, you just, feel uncomfortable. And, but it wasn't uncomfortable for Alexan because he didn't know what does it mean. So <clears throat> my DOP could come, could be very, very close to Alexan and Sari and film them. And they were, they were all the time natural. They didn't, uh, you know, they didn't play and they didn't feel uncomfortable. Um, so this is uh, how this, uh, this work, um, work look. And of course, I knew that when Alexan is working with me, when I go with him for filming, he's not able to uh, fish enough, uh, to bring enough food for his, his family. So uh, I just suggest him a kind of salary. So every day he was working with him, with me, I give him some salary. It was, I think it was a good uh, uh, cooperation. It was obvious for me that he works for me. I just have to, uh, I just have to support him. And there was some, there was a challenge also in the story, right? Because 
Sari's parents weren't entirely on board with him learning to be a diver. Would you tell us about that? Yeah, generally, generally um, Sari is the son of Alexan's uh, sister. And uh, Alexan uh, has that time, because the situation is uh, changing all the time. At that time, Alexan had uh, five kids. All of these kids were very small. But Alexan also had two older sons from his uh, previous marriage, let's say. But these sons, uh, they didn't want to dive. They were afraid of diving. And when I met Alexan, he was desperately looking for someone who can dive with him, who can, who can help him, who can support him. And um, it was a dream of the Sari to become a fisherman. Uh, but um, that time, the, the parents of Sari, then they were okay with the thing that uh, Sari be, will be a fisherman, but they didn't want uh, Sari to be a compressor diver. Uh, so I think when the, uh, Sari asked Alexan uh, to teach him how to be a compressor diver, I think it was um, there was no no uh, no no discussion between Alexan and parent, Sari parents about it, and I think they just didn't know about it that time that uh, that Sari wants to try it. What is it that makes the the Dow and what they do and the place where you filmed so special? There's a sense of weightlessness when you watch the film. What what is it that makes it so special? This place, this place is magical for me. I used to spend a lot of time um, living with the Bajau on the sea, and honestly, I was just sitting on the boats on the houses, and I did nothing, and I was just looking. I was just watching them, and it makes me feel happy. And it makes me feel that uh, I'm missing something in my life. And then when I was thinking about it, what, what is it? And I thought that we, even if I spend a lot of time in the mountains, it's just from time to time, you know, I can go for a trip which takes like one month, but it's not like, it's not my whole life. Most of the time I spend in the city which I don't like, honestly, too much. And when I was watching these Bajau people, I was jealous about the bond with the nature. And I thought that we are missing already this bond with, nature, with the nature. We don't have it. We cannot feel it. And I also got the feeling of uh, think about the kids, because when I was asking Bajau, are you happy? <laughs> Most of them were telling me, yes, I'm happy because I have six kids. And honestly, that time that time I wasn't a mother. I couldn't understand this. But it, I started to think about it. What are these people talking about, you know? So did you learn to speak Bajau or did you work with the translator the whole time? The key, when you make a film like this, the key is a very good uh, translator and guide. Uh, no, I didn't learn uh, Bajau enough good to be able to communicate with them. And I was very lucky because... Uh, I found a guy, I met a Bajau man who could speak little English, but this English was enough for me to communicate with him, and uh, he was able to show me the real world of the Bajau, and also he was able to 
present. He was able to take me to to their houses, to their boats, and they were okay with it. They were not afraid of me. The strange situation which is happening there is that there are plenty of tourists because this place becomes very popular for diving. This is one of the best diving spots in the world. Uh, so imagine that these people can see big boats, fast speed boats, uh, passing them everywhere, every day, with uh, plenty of uh, tourists. Why? But not only why. There are tourists from all over the world. There are many Asian tourists also. But these tourists uh, never visiting them. So when I decided to enter their houses, they were so happy. It was just incredible for me. It was very, very easy. They were, I was feeling like they are waiting for me to enter the house. But as I said at the very beginning, it was only possible because of uh, my friend uh, who was my translator and guide. Why did you call the documentary Walking Underwater? We were thinking very long about the title. And honestly, I'm not very good uh, in giving the title, so I always uh, I'm trying to support myself with the ideas of uh, of other people. But I really like the idea of walking underwater because uh, walking underwater is something which is uh, in fact impossible. When you think about it, it's impossible to walking underwater for us normally. When you when you are normal people, you just it's very hard uh, to walk there. And I thought uh, that this is uh, something what uh, describe my protagonist that they do something underwater what what is in fact impossible and they can do this. Uh, so that's why I decided that this title is the best uh, because there is kind of kind of magic and something which is impossible, but uh, but it happened there. I decided to choose this title. How deep do they dive? Too deep. Um, when we were filming, I didn't allow Alexan to go deeper than 22, maybe 24 meters. Um, but I know they can go even more than 30 uh, meters deep. And you have to know that they do it totally without uh, proper equipment. As I said, they breathe through the pipe. In the pipe, there is an oxygen uh, which uh, goes from the boat, from the very, very simple compressor, uh, which is uh, connected to the very, very simple engine, which is bra breaking all the time. So imagine what can happen if the engine will broke on the boat and the guy is 30 meters underwater and suddenly he has no air. Uh, for us, it sounds really traumatic because we know that we cannot... Uh, we cannot go up fast from the depth of 30 meters because if you do this, you will die because of the decompression illness. So generally, what these people, what these guys do, it's like extreme sports for us, for me. Yes, yeah, so this is how it looks. They also didn't have uh, good fins. They make their fins from the wood, very simple one. And uh, today they can uh, they can have quite uh, more, more modern masks. Uh, they found it in some diving schools, but uh, but in the past they were using very simple gloves from wooden gloves, which were I don't know how how they were able to dive with it and and see underwater and fish. And the main reason that they dive is to fish. 
Yes, the main reason the Bajau people die is uh, is food, is fish, which they can eat and they can sell. But um, when I spent my time with Alexan, I also find out that he loves to be underwater. Um, that this is the only place probably when he feels totally comfortable and safe. However, it can uh, sound. I, I told you it's not safe, but he feels uh, he's safe underwater. I can say one more. <clears throat> because these people have no um, no documents. They have no country, no civil rights. And it happens that uh, the police come and uh, arrest them uh, and say that they are illegal immigrants. It doesn't matter that they were born here. They they say, you are illegal, you don't have documents, and they take them to the prison. Uh, so the only way to escape for these people is to go into the sea and dive and wait well, until the moment when police uh, will go away. Does that happen often? Unfortunately, yes, and unfortunately it happened to Alexan uh, this year. I visited Mabul finally this year, uh, so it's 2016. I finished the film in 2014, and from that time I wasn't able to, to go to Borneo because I was pregnant and I became a mother. I was waiting for the moment when I can go and visit them and show them the film. It was my dream to visit them and show them the film. And I went there in April this year, and what I found out, find out was that there was no Alexan in the village because he was arrested because he didn't have documents. And it was really stressful for me. Um, I did what I wanted to do. I, I made uh, a screening for the village, uh, for the people from the village. We built a cinema from the, you know, we put the white scarf, the material on the wall of one of the building, and I borrowed some projector and I showed them the film. And it was the only one, uh, it was the only audience who could watch the film in original language with no subtitles because they could understand everything. And I was happy because they were laughing and uh, in the moments when I want them to laugh and uh, yeah, I, they were really happy that I came back and they were really uh, glad that I, I did the film. As I said, I was also very stressed that there was no Alexan and I wanted to find where he is. Um, I went to the to the police station and they told me that it's true, they arrested more than 100 people. It was uh, one week before I came to Mabul. And they sent them to the prison in Sandakan, and the plan was to send them to Philippines. That time my trip was uh, was finished. I had to come back to Poland, and I was looking for an idea how to find where is Alex and what happened to him. And uh, just uh, in this month, uh, I found out he's at home already. One of uh, the people I asked, uh, he, one of the people send me a message that they are going to Mabul and I said, please, please come, please find this guy. Maybe he is at home, maybe maybe Marulina, his wife, uh, is alone and has nothing to eat. Uh, so they, they, these people did it for me, they found Alexan at home already. But of course, uh, it can happen again. And honestly, I'm crushed because I don't know how to help these people, how to protect him against this uh, arresting. Have Alexan and Sari seen the movie yet? 
when I did a projection, there was a Sari and his family, and there was also a Marulina. So, yes, Sari's in the film. And, you know, uh, when we started filming, he was, it was 2012, and I thought that Sari is about 10 years old. As I said, I thought, because Bajal people doesn't count the, the age. Uh, so we don't know how old they are. And when I visited them this year, I couldn't, uh, couldn't believe my eyes because Sari got uh, mustache already. <laughs> and I don't know, but he looks like 16 at least, maybe 15. But he looks very adult, very handsome boy. And uh, very, very nice. Uh, I was happy that uh, he's very nice, very helpful. He helped me to organize this screening uh, to invite people from the village. And uh, he was a little shy watching himself on the big screen, especially that in the film he was a small kid who, who was sometimes talking, you know, funny stuff, uh, asking very funny questions. Uh, but in the end, he told me he really liked it. He was really shy, a little shy because of his friends, but he was okay. He liked it. Is he still diving? I've seen that he's fishing. But uh, as I understood, when Alexan wasn't there, he was not, uh, he didn't dive. Um, the problem is that uh, when police um, arrested the people, they also confiscated the boats. And this is very tragic because these people with no boat, they have no possibility to go for a diving. So honestly, I don't know if it's possible for them to dive anymore because they don't have a boat. Why the persecution, Aliza? Is are they threatening somebody else's resources? Are they squatting on someone's land? Why are they being arrested? Do you know? Of course, because they knew they they want they need the island uh, to have a clean island with no native peoples, and they're. This is my opinion. They, maybe they cannot push these people out uh, illegally, but uh, they can make they live their life very difficult so these people can, will decide to leave the island by themselves. And this way, uh, there will be more places uh, for um, diving resorts for, for the tourists for earning money. How have audiences reacted to the film and some of these issues, such as the persecution of the Badao? Do you have a sense of that? Yes, I was very happy because my film, uh, uh, when you watch the film, uh, this is just a story of the uncle and the nephew who go for diving. Uh, and just in the end of the film, you can understand that something wrong is happening on this place, that there is less and less place for these people. And uh, in the end of the film, I decided to put some text with the information uh, that the Bajau uh, are treated like uh, illegal immigrants uh, with no rights, no civil rights, and that no one is protecting them. And this was kind of the mission I had. I really wanted audience to know about it, not to change, you know, this is not... This is not my mission that I, I tell to people, no, don't go there, you know. No, it's, it's not about this, and it's not my, my idea. The thing is that all of us are tourists sometimes. <laughs> all of us are tourists, yes? Also me, I'm very often uh, traveling like a tourist, and I'm visiting some places. I 
wanted people to know something more about it. How does it look? Because uh, sometimes we just don't think about it. What is behind uh, this amazing, beautiful place? And in my story, you can see that uh, we can dive in this amazing place. But unfortunately, in the same place, uh, is happening something wrong. And I want you to know about it. You don't have to do anything with it. I understand that when you go for the vacation, you have one week, you are very tired, you need to rest from your life. It's obvious for me, and I exactly do the same. I just want you to know about it, just to know about it, and maybe, maybe sometimes think about it. And the audience, uh, I think they... They, 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 understood, they understood it, and uh, I'm very touched when the people come to me, and some people were cr- even crying, and it was surprising for me because I didn't find the story sad. I think it was even funny sometimes, uh, but uh, I like it that some very sensitive people, they, they went so deep in this story that they were so sorry uh, because of the future, sad future of the Bajau people, that they were, they were crying on it. So, yeah, it was my meeting with the audiences. I can see that. There, there's definitely a soulful side to the documentary. Did it play a role in your decision for the next film that you're working on, K2, Touching the Sky? Were they related in any way? It's, uh, maybe it sounds, uh, it's very far, this story, because Kato Touching the Sky was filmed in Karakorum, um, highest mountains in the world, uh, on the K2 base camp. K2 is the second highest mountain in the world, one of the most difficult. And it was a story about the children who lost their parents in the mountains, but it was also the story about the relationship between the children of the parent and the parents. And that time when I working on that film, and I was already after my, my experience with the Bajao, I was asking myself if someone like me uh, could have a child. Because first I was a climber, and uh, in the past I used to participate in some expeditions, which could be dangerous. And then, um, because I... I wanted to travel, and I'm so busy with this uh, filmmaking. Uh, so I was uh, question, asking myself uh, if it's possible for me to have a kid. But same moment after this uh, meeting with the Bajao, I was I was jealous about the happiness which they have uh, when they had these six children, and it was enough for them to be so happy. So I think somehow these two stories uh, influenced, I think that this meeting with the Bajau families influenced uh, me. Uh, so it was uh, natural, that, natural that it influenced my another film, K2 Touching the Stakai. And uh, I can say, I'm, I, I'm a mother, as I said already, I'm a mother now of uh, two years old boy. And yeah, I'm very happy with this. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> do you plan to go back to Borneo and do another film with the Badao? Is that in the is that in your future? For now I don't plan um, another film. Uh, I think what I wanted to say I did already. Uh, I feel I think more practically now uh, what I can do. 
And uh, yeah, honestly, as I said already, it's quite hard to me because when I'm far, when I'm here, I really can do nothing. I was trying so many times, asking someone, uh, cooperated with some NGOs, and uh, I don't know, it's just just doesn't work there. But um, now I, I have a plan because I was collecting some money for education for study. And it it not succeed means uh, I have some money but Sai doesn't want to be doesn't want to go to school I think he is too big already and it's uh, it's too complicated for him uh, but I have some money and I was planning that maybe I should buy some boats for Alex and so I still I'm still in touch with them I'm try I'm trying to be in touch and I'm trying to at least do something what can help them because. <clears throat> This making films, documentary films, I think it's uh, natural for every documentary filmmaker that uh, one thing is this adventure with the film, and it's a very nice, very strong adventure that you have a story, what you think, how to tell this story, how to make it, how to present it to your audience. But from the another side, there are real people and real stories, and even if the film finished, the film is traveling around the world, and many people could hear about Bajau, which makes me very happy. But this Bajau, real Bajau, they are still living there, and they have these travels all the time. And uh, I feel they give me something, they gave me something uh, that I was able to make the story, and I, I should still give them back something now and I'm worried about them all the time and yeah I just cannot stop thinking about them <laughs> this is the problem uh, so I, I'm planning of course to visiting Borneo I don't know when like now but this time I want to take my baby boy and uh, show them my baby boy and I think they will be very happy to see my boy because they were always sad asking me oh Lisa you are so old and you still don't have a children Oh, poor girl, you know. <laughs> they were sorry for you. They were very sorry of me, yeah. <laughs> Where can our listeners watch the movie? Because we've now spent the better part of an hour talking about this amazing documentary, Walking Underwater. Where can they watch it? Well, so it's distributed um, all the time in some TVs. But uh, I don't know where and when exactly. <laughs> but uh, I can, uh, we can, you can, they can also buy DVD. Uh, they can visit our uh, Facebook website, Walking Underwater, and ask about DVD. It's probably the easiest and the fastest way uh, to get the DVD. Uh, the film is not a, oh, maybe, no, maybe even the film is available in Internet, in uh, streaming. Oh, my God, I'm not prepared for this question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. And what about if they want to learn more about the Bajau? Is there somewhere uh, beyond the film where they can learn about the people, where they can learn about the area where you filmed, anybody who wants to visit or connect with them either virtually or in person? What suggestions would you give them? I think the easiest way is to contact me <laughs> and to talk to me. I, I'm always open and I'm very happy if someone wants to go there and visit my uh, protagonist because I always want to give them something, uh, some information from me. And so it's very helpful for me too. Uh, honestly, I don't think there are plenty of information about the Bajau still in Internet, you know. Uh, 
So, yeah, I think the easiest way is just talk to me. <laughs> and how do they do that? It's easy. They can just find Facebook. Uh, my name is Elisa Kubarska, and I also have a website, verticalvision.pl. So go to Facebook and look for your account, and that's spelled E-L-I, Z as in zebra, A, K as in kangaroo, U, B as in boy, A, R, S, K as in kangaroo again, A, on Facebook, or your website is verticalvision.com? .pl. .pl for Poland. Yes. So verticalvision.pl. And is there an email or a Twitter account that you care to share? There is also uh, there is email, <coughs> which is when you go to verticalvision.pl, you can send me a message just from my website. Uh, I also have Twitter, Eliza Kubarska. All one word. Maybe. <laughs> I think I'm not using Twitter very often, but uh, I'm informed when I have some message, yeah. Okay. So, all one word, or do a search on Twitter. Again, it's Elisa Kubarska on Twitter, on Facebook, or verticalvision.pl. What would you say for those people who are inspired and want to do a little bit of documentary filmmaking of their own? What suggestions, say, what three tips would you share with them? Of course, to make a documentary, you need money and time and good idea, but uh, all these things will not work with no passion. From my experience, I can tell you that I would do nothing if I have no passion for the, um, for the topics I want to talk about. And the money, somehow they appear in good moment always. Uh, it was always very, very hard. Uh, it, it, always, it was always um, very difficult to find uh, financing. But if you have the passion, you will find this power in you, and, uh, and it, it, it will happen then. So I think this is the most important. The money will follow the passion. If you want to be an indie filmmaker, you have to have passion. Did I understand that right? Yes, exactly. This is the this is the clue. <laughs> and for someone who's thinking of going to Borneo, that seems really far, exotic, a little bit intimidating perhaps for many people. Do you have any tips that you care to share about a possible visit to Maybe people who are diving enthusiasts or just travelers, are there any suggestions that you have? It's true that it sounds like this is in the end of the world, but the parts uh, of Borneo, Borneo when I, where I was filming is in uh, Malaysia, and it's quite easy to go there. It's, uh, it's really not difficult, and even it's not expensive if you plan it uh, before. Uh, so... If you, if you love diving, I would suggest you to visit the place and uh, tell me about it. Uh, so I ask you to visit my film protagonist. Excellent. Thank you, Elisa, for joining us from Warsaw, Poland. Thank you very, very much. And to our audience, thank you for listening to filmmaker Elisa Kubarska, who discussed her documentary, Walking Underwater. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor 
at HispanicMPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com.